Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach. Joining me this week is once again, not my regular co-host, but my regular substitute co-host, Captain Bill Bray, USN retired intel officer, the newly arrived deputy editor-in-chief of Proceedings Magazine. And as we decided last week, your podcast handle is Billy B. It is. Yes. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> yes. So, big weekend, long weekend coming up. Tomorrow is the Navy Air Force game, the first leg in the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. That's right. I don't, is there a line Eastern. on it? Is there a line on I, it? Have I haven't had a chance. We've been working so hard all week. On I the, know, right? I've been telling you. you got to settle down and yeah. check out what the line is. Quit working so hard. Yep. Yeah, so we'll be watching that. You may not be watching it because you're not sure with your what your cable situation is. That's right. Yeah, so if anybody I'll knows... Find a way. Hello, Anthony. Uh, just checking in on Facebook Live. Um, if anybody knows how Bill can score some CBS Sports app action and not buy the full Xfinity Mega Sports package, please uh, hit us up here um, on Facebook Live with a comment. Um, so, um, uh, those also on Facebook Live probably wondering why I'm wearing this hat. So, uh, yesterday I had a little bit of a, uh, a situation cut off of my... Um, head. Um, I, I had I had a uh, what's known as squamous cell uh, a carcinoma, which is skin cancer. So I'm using my celebrity uh, to to go public with my illness very selflessly. Um, and so the the lesson is wear sunscreen. And I know that you were saying earlier that you've also had um, some some uh, uh, issues you've dealt with in this way. That's right. Same uh, same issue. Uh, same surgeon two years ago. Yeah, no, that's nutty. Same surgeon. So um, I was at Walter Reed, um, and I will say I've been going there a lot this year for a variety of things. This is my late father-in-law, Hootfoot, the A6 pilot extraordinaire, used to say, getting old is a contact sport. And in fact, he was very correct. So I know Walter Reed slash Bethesda uh, better than I ever thought I would or hoped to, um, and uh, I got to say, the, this, the, the quality of care um, and the attention to detail over there is really top-notch. I have nothing, no quarrel with, uh, with the care there. Now, living in Annapolis and driving to Bethesda is not always that much fun. That's another context. That's for. a whole different <laughs> context for it, yes. Um, but uh, so anyway, um, so... It's hurricane season, right? It, it It's hurricane season until when? Like mid-November? I mean, it goes later than you would think. Yeah, I think even to the end of November. Yeah, and so I don't know if we have any. I haven't looked at the weather report, if there's any active storms in the Atlantic at this moment. Um, as I said on the last show, I was in Bermuda a couple of weeks ago, and bad time to vacation in Bermuda during hurricane season, but luckily none hit us. Um, but this this week's topic is a great one. Um, because it is hurricane season, and we have um, with us a uh, Coast Guard Academy cadet. Uh, and you mentioned last show some of the essay contests that we run here. And, uh, in fact, the Midshipman Cadet Essay Contest it comes due. The deadline is at the end of this month. So if you're a midshipman or a cadet, um, not unlike our guest, who is award-winning, and I'll let you talk, uh, talk about that and introduce him, um, but we were just up there a couple of weeks ago at New London at our uh, annual panel there at uh, the Coast Guard Academy. Always a good time to be up there on the Thames River. Um, it's a great time of year to be up there. It's beautiful in uh, in early fall there. 
And uh, Admiral Thad Allen was the moderator, who uh, is not only a former con- commandant, he is sort of the godfather of disaster relief, uh, courtesy of his performance at Katrina. So he was the moderator, and I was blown away by the panelists at this this uh, event that we held up there. Um, you know, these are lieutenants, warrant officers, chiefs, um, and every one of them had been in a major disaster. Some were mudslides, earthquakes in Haiti, hurricanes like Harvey. Um, and, uh, you know, if you go pound for pound with similar ranks in the other sea services, you'd be hard-pressed to find people at that pay grade that have had as much challenge in trying situations as those folks on the panel. So max props to the Coast Guard. Um, I don't think we do it enough on this show. But today that's not going to be the issue because we're going to talk very much about uh, the Coast Guard and specifically about a innovation that came from the lowest part of the rank structure, at least the officer rank structure. Um, so why don't we, without any further ado, introduce our guest and, and talk about uh, what his article is about. Absolutely. Thanks, Ward. Um, so I will introduce today um, First Class Cadet Evan Touareg for, at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, as Ward mentioned. He placed third in the annual USNI uh, Coast Guard Essay Contest, uh, quite an achievement for a cadet, or anybody, but certainly for a cadet. Um, the title of the article is Hurricane Ready, Coast Guard Adapts to the Social Media Storm. It has uh, been published in this month's uh, issue, October issue um, of Proceedings. And without further ado, I'll just get on with the, in letting Evan explain what the, um, um, what the article's about, um, what he participated in. And, and, and let me just preface by saying Evan didn't just write about the issue um, following it. He actually participated in the uh, disaster relief effort uh, for Hurricane Harvey, and he'll explain that. And then um, hopefully he'll talk a little bit about uh, where the Coast Guard's come since the summer of uh, 2017. So, Evan, why don't you give us a, you know, a little bit of an overview about the, uh, about the article, the problem, and uh, the problem it created, Hurricane Harvey, um, from, from a disaster relief standpoint and a response standpoint, and, and what you, you did, you and the Coast Guard, and, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, moving forward from there. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, thanks for having me today. Um, so I guess I'll start off by kind of prefacing that maybe over the last 12, 15 years, the two biggest responses that the Coast Guard's been a part of um, would be Hurricane Harvey and then um, Hurricane Katrina. And then Deepwater Horizon is also a big response for us. But um, there's some pretty interesting differences between Harvey and uh, Katrina. Um, so if getting down to the way we communicate every day. So back during Hurricane Katrina, um, social media, the iPhone, these were just starting to emerge. And since then, they've become really integral to um, our daily lives. And I think that this has some pretty big implications for um, particularly first responders when bad things start to happen. Um, So whether that's hurricanes, um, earthquakes, um, mass shootings, unfortunately, and I think that manifested itself during Hurricane Harvey when the 911 infrastructure started to fail. Um, so Hurricane Harvey was kind of like a black swan in terms of hurricanes. Um, it wasn't anticipated to be all that bad of a storm. Um, so city of Houston, um, the greater Texas area, 
Um, they're kind of keeping an eye on it, but they weren't really taking evacuations too seriously leading up to the storm, just because, you know, it wasn't expected to be all that bad. Um, but then when it kind of spiraled out of control and got really bad all of a sudden, um, there just wasn't enough time to evacuate, particularly the city of Houston. Um, and then you merge that with the fact that the storm stalled right over the city. So you had three, four feet of rain dumped on the city inside of a few days. So it's, it's a pretty bad situation. Um, so you had tens of thousands of people calling 911. And even if you have hundreds of operators taking those calls, there just isn't enough human capacity to get to every single one of them. So you had people waiting four, five, even eight hours to try to reach a 911 operator. Um, and the the situation, the, the story that was playing out across the city of Houston was something like this. Um, you know, you're a family of four and you've been forced onto the roof of your home by rising floodwaters and you're out in the cold, freezing rain. Um, and you've been on hold with 911 for four hours. Now your phone's at 7% battery. What are you going to do? Um, and what people by the thousands were doing is they were posting to social media. So whether that's Facebook, Twitter, um, and then a few other streams saying, hey, I can't reach 911. Somebody please send help. And up until this point, um, the Coast Guard really didn't have that as a communication source, um, specifically looking for like those 911 posts. Um, so kind of what our group from the Coast Guard Academy, working with uh, a bunch of nonprofit NGOs, we were looking for those 911 posts and trying to funnel them down, um, make sense of them, and then create heat maps. So like situational awareness tools for the Coast Guard, FEMA Urban Search and Rescue Teams, really anyone who could benefit from this. Um, and that's kind of like where our, our team interfaced with uh, um, with the response efforts. So, so how, did, how did this team yeah. come together? Um, right? I mean, were you in at the Coast Guard Academy or were you on site? And, and how, how did you guys uh, have this aha moment? And then how did you start to be like an official... And we'll talk about the specifics of what you did tech-wise, um, but but yeah. how, how did the official chain of command recognize um, your efforts? Totally. Um, so I guess the story of that kind of began my sophomore year at the academy. I've always been kind of a, a data nerd, um, a computer nerd. So uh, I started taking a look at various ways that the Coast Guard could improve its disaster response um, efforts by leveraging different forms of technology. And this was kind of one of those blind spots that the Coast Guard just really hadn't taken a serious look at yet. So figured, oh, why not just do a little research here and there? And through that research, built up some connections with um, this digital humanitarian world. And this digital humanitarian world is really interesting, really inspiring, because like the very definition of volunteerism has changed dramatically over the last 30 years. Um, so prior to social media, prior to the internet, the way that you could volunteer and help out disaster responses was, you know, like volunteering at soup kitchens, maybe like food drives, blood drives. But today that's entirely different. Anyone from anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world can really engage in disaster response efforts as they're unfolding through um, monitoring social media, um, providing GIS support. And these are all just volunteers doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Um, so like, anyways, I guess, um, through this research, I started to um, build up some connections in that world. Um, so as Hurricane Harvey was making landfall, um, our team 
um, from New London, Connecticut. So we were working remotely, started reaching out to these people and say, hey, like, um, this could be pretty bad. So do we want to try to do something? And it just so happened that Harvey became a pretty serious event pretty quickly. So in, in the article, um, you, you talk about some of the specifics of uh, Canadian software engineer um, and some other uh, rescue map, crowdsourced maps and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So what, what were some of the specifics of, of you guys seeing things? So just walk us through, because uh, you mentioned you know, they're on the roof, they're going, the power is getting down, um, 911 is not answering, so they post to Facebook, hey, we're on our roof. Would you, would you were they using a hashtag? Were you guys just keyword searching? I mean, how did you know uh, who to look for and, and how? Totally. Um, so I can kind of walk you through the process of how we would find those first calls all the way through how they're being seen by first responders. Um, so our team from the Coast Guard Academy, we weren't actually doing any of the research looking for those 911 posts. We were just making products using data provided by these uh, volunteers. So for a volunteer, what this might look like is um, there are certain keywords and certain hashtags that start to pop up pretty frequently with these nine. Uh, these 911 posts. Um, so they would be kind of like searching as you would like through Google or something like that. There isn't any special um, data mining software that they're using. Um, so they would collect these posts and then throw them into a Google spreadsheet. Um, and we had upwards of, I believe, 700 volunteers that were collecting these posts. All at at, um, at New London, or were these pe- people all all over the place? All over the world. I think okay. we had seven different nations uh, represented, which was absolutely inspiring. Um, people from India, um, fin- uh, I think Finland, um, England, Ireland, just a whole host of different nations coming together to. Um, make sure that no call goes unanswered. So anyways, we would collect these cases in a Google spreadsheet, and then from there we would plot them in ArcGIS um, uh, ArcMap, which is like a, it's like a mapping software. So it's called GIS. Mm-hmm. And from there, once we had it, so that would populate it. It was kind of like a bunch of dots on a map. Um, and then from there, we kind of said, okay, we need to figure out what sort of a story we're going to tell to first responders to help them out the most. Um, if you're a helicopter pilot, you don't have five minutes to analyze the map. You need to be able to get a story really quickly and then make decisions based off of that. Um, so the story that we decided to tell was using uh, heat maps. So that would tell, tell those helicopter pilots, those uh, FEMA urban search and rescue teams, what are the neighborhoods that are currently being hit hardest um, in terms of social media? So... Um, like essentially, like how do you optimize your rescue efforts? And and these were and briefed, we, Evan. These were um, were briefed pretty high up the disaster relief chain of command, right? It was. So this is seen all the way through the commandant level, uh, which was um, really exciting to see. Just the fact that it was being both used by both helicopter pilots, the boots on the ground, and then all the way up through senior leadership. And were you guys set up to do this 24 hours a day in some sort of watch rotation? How was that working? Yeah. Um, 
So kind of the way that we were running this is we were sending out updates. So essentially like an email out to various people that are interested in the data every four to six hours. So there, there was a, one other cadet um, who's now an ensign, Gabby Osenberg. Um, she and I would kind of trade off and work together on sending out these email updates. And those emails would include like the raw data, uh, a couple mapping products, and then um, like the ArcGIS um, shapefiles, which shapefiles are just kind of a way of being able to move that geospatial data between um, mapping software platforms, I guess. So one of the things that was brought up at the uh, conference we were talking about uh, last month up, up where you are in New London uh, one of the uh, lieutenants, a, a helicopter pilot, was talking about the problem around Harvey was they were getting stuff uh, via street address, um, and that wasn't translating uh, into what they wanted, which was lat- latitude and longitude. Um, mm-hmm. So how did you guys help with that translation, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was something that the volunteers were doing on as part of their efforts. So the data that they were looking for is are kind of like the big fours. So essentially, like where where are the survivors? What's the nature of the distress? How many are there? Um, and then a few other factors. So we were kind of looking for those to evaluate: are there is there immediate threat to life in a given uh, situation? So once you have that address, there are certain tools that you can use online to translate directly to a Latin long. Um, so we'd have access to both the street address and then the Latin long. So were most survivors using Facebook or which which app, which platform were they uh, mostly using? It was about a 50-50 split between Facebook and Twitter. So that um, that begs the question, is there, because you talk in the end of the article uh, let me let me quote you. In fact, uh, you say, the name of the paragraph is Pushing Through Concerns. You say, one of the central issues holding back social media monitoring implementation is unanswered policy concerns. At the moment, the Coast Guard does not have a policy framework that will guide how the information is collected, packaged, and disseminated. Um, so, because when you're talking, I'm thinking, well, wouldn't it be awesome if the Coast Guard had an app that a city in the wake or in the path of a hurricane could just download from the app store, right? And that'd be the central location. Yeah. Um, they would be formatted and, and uh, everything else. And that would be the place that would, you know, just spit out data for the volunteers or the command center or whatever. Uh, is that something in work or is that one of the lessons learned that, um, or are we just going to keep monitoring the big two social media sites and, and, and trying to translate that information? I think that this is a really rapidly changing realm. Um, I mean, social media sites are popping up left and right seemingly with every year. Um, so, I mean, within the last few years, it's been Snapchat or something, um, Snapchat and a few other sites. Um, so I would say, like, the difficulty with creating specific policy for, say, just Facebook or just Twitter is that by the time we have to, or we have the chance to get that policy in place, it might not even be a super relevant uh, social media site anymore. Um, so I think the biggest thing for the Coast Guard is looking forward is just making sure that, um, I guess, agility um, and flexibility is kind of our central focus. Like being able to 
um, have policies that will support innovation and creativity um, and rapid decision-making when lives are on the line. Um, and I think that one of the best ways to do this is to leverage that digital humanitarian realm. Um, so human, uh, organizations like Humanity Road or the Digital Humanitarian Network or Standby Task Force, these guys are doing absolutely incredible work, and I think these are partners that the Coast Guard and, frankly, FEMA and other first responders should totally leverage during disaster response efforts. I don't really know what the specific future looks like for Coast Guard mining social media during disaster responses, but I think in some way, shape, and form, um, the Coast Guard should definitely be, I think we're, we're even expected to be monitoring social media during each event looking into the future. Yeah, so I would suggest that you're, you're kind of de facto leading the way here. Um, this is the beauty of the independent forum. This is the beauty of, um, you know, being an essay, third place essay contest winner. Um, so if, if you don't know, I don't think it's known, right? Um, right. I certainly wouldn't leave it up to the uh, three and four stars to come up with the answer. So that, that having been said, what did you see from the lessons learned that you were intimately part of during Harvey and what just happened uh, around Florence? Have you heard anything or were you, were you involved with that effort as well? And have we made any improvements uh, between those two disasters? Yeah, absolutely. So I was involved with Florence. Um, so kind of one of the things that came out of the Harvey response is whenever we're engaged in social media, um, activities were doing it in a more personal capacity. So I guess I, I'm going to preface with that. So I was, I was operating as a volunteer for Humanity Road, which is one of those organizations that was helping out the Coast Guard during Harvey, um, which is an absolutely incredible opportunity. They have some really amazing people working for them. Um, so yeah, I guess like the biggest difference that I saw um, between Harvey and Florence was just... Um, the level of coordination between the federal government and then these NGOs. Uh, and I'm, during Hurricane Harvey, there were multiple search and rescue maps that were starting to pop up. So we had that Canadian software engineers um, heat map. We had crowd rescue heat map, and then we had ours. So really there are three different maps trying to tell the same story, but there are a lot of work. That's a lot of time and energy to be putting into products so why not try to coordinate these efforts so you know maybe one of those organizations is trying to put together a map a really detailed map of where emergency shelters are and then you have another search and rescue map and then maybe one's taking a look at specific damage and that's what i saw during hurricane Florence. it's just a much better level of coordination between these ngos and then particularly fema coast guard was definitely involved with search and rescue efforts during Florence, but um, I would say FEMA's urban search and rescue teams were um, just as critical to those rescue efforts. So, so is, FEMA, is DHS working on this coordination, or is this FEMA, or who would take the lead in creating the sort of state of the art with with all of the things that you're you're talking about here? Um, I would say it's a combination of Coast Guard and FEMA. Because those are the two entities that will be ultimately responsible for um, search and rescue looking into the future. So if we have like a, a major earthquake in San Francisco, it's probably going to be FEMA that's taking charge with that. Whereas another Hurricane Harvey is going to be um, 
the Coast Guard. So I think it's important that both of those organizations continue to stay innovative and stay nimble in this realm. So, Evan, a little bit back on the policy and um, putting some structure in place to this and for the future. Do you see that mm-hmm. um, are there efforts underway from from your vantage point that uh, will put a process in place with a dedicated team on for the Coast Guard for FEMA to look to have a kind of a social media response team um, so that you can practice in exercises and then when you go to the real thing people know where to go they know what seats to sit in they know how to do this they know what the NGOs are to coordinate and it's it's a playbook that can be you know codified and built and I understand as you mentioned that social media is constantly changing but social media will always well and always but it will be with us for a long long time as a method and I think about the the you know the 911 system that I grew up with and Ward grew up with and if you make a 911 call and they answer you know they, they, there's a uh, a response time you know expectation and there's uh, after events, after uh, mass uh, natural disasters, that sort, of, that sort of thing, they determine how long it took to get to people and they try to improve it and there's a process to improve. Is something like that going on with social media? So if I post something on Facebook, that somebody, I know somebody read it? I mean, how do I know somebody read it? How do I know uh, anybody's coming? That sort of thing. Yeah, um, I'd say there are kind of two different ways to break down our organization search and rescue efforts. So it's kind of those routine, everyday rescue efforts. And then we have these catastrophic incidents. So the Hurricane Harries, the Hurricane Katrinas. Um, and I think there's an important distinction between the two because the Coast Guard and all first responders have worked really hard over the years to establish um, official distress signals. And I don't think that social media should disrupt those during regular um, regular rescue efforts. But then you have these incidents that are kind of outliers, the Black Swans, the um, Hurricane Harveys, where um, that traditional emergency response infrastructure just can't handle the volume. So there's a, the story that social media is telling you and then the story that 911 tell, is telling you might be dramatically different. And I think that's where... Um, social media is really important. You want to make sure that no call is going unanswered. So any future policy, I would say, should be focused around those catastrophic incidents and just making sure that um, somebody's going to be monitoring those posts and somebody's going to be collaborating with those NGOs. Um, so then that way, the American people like will meet those expectations of the American people. And just to put a, another or to pony on what Billy B was saying about um, a, the Coast Guard career path or the the structure piece, this is almost worthy of a subspecialty um, for a Coast Guard person. You know, and I mean, like like um, like what you've done. I mean, I can see you know Evan having having a subspecialty that is you know social media disaster coordinator, um, which is career enhancing for one thing, um, but also you know you you have. No, I'm serious. Just like you would be a foreign officer trained guy or um, the different things that you have, regardless of your warfare, especially in any branch of the service, this specific expertise, um, you know, you can't just 
And you know this, Evan. I mean, you can't just walk in off the streets and go, yeah, I've had a Facebook account for a while. I'm ready to be useful here. That's, there's more to it. Like you say, you have to have you worked with NGOs? Do you understand this Canadian software? Do you know how to get through to headquarters Coast Guard? Do you know how to break through the, the task force that's on site or the squadron that's fielding calls or the first responders? I mean, there's so much more to be effective here. Um, and, you know, in a digital era where everything's measured, I mean, you, you can say quantitatively how many lives were saved by social media at Harvey, right? I mean, can't you? I would say I would say that we can quantify the number of people that our cases were touching. I can't confirm one way or another how many of those people were saved because of social media. Well, but that's um, a good start, right? Let's just start with exactly with, with impact, right? Like you said, uh, that that were people were that cases that that were touching uh, disaster uh, survivors. Um, so that's better than nine one one calls that went unanswered. Yet there's no way to measure that once the grid is shut down. Um, it's just sea stories and, and pilots and air crew recounting how many people they uh, they flew over during the, any given sortie, um, you know. And so, again, I think you're you've you've kicked the door open of a huge solution, uh, and, and you know better than we do that when you get into multi-agency uh, that labyrinth, it's it's really complicated to put it mildly, and it's not something that you, we would expect a cadet. Uh, to, you know, figure out on his own. But certainly, as we're saying, um, you, you're, you're putting pen to paper here. Um, it, it does make you a thought leader with respect to this. And I hope the machine is treating you like that. Um, and that you have a, a seat at the table here because this is, you know, this is, this is thought beyond your pay grade. Um, and uh, again, that's what's so cool. And that's why we're going to have you on the podcast because, um, you know, old guys like us just don't think this way. You know, um, and like you said, I mean, every time my sons come home, I'm like, hey, you guys have Facebook? Like, no, no, we're up Snapchat. And how about that Snapchat? Like, no, no, now we're up something else. Right. Um, and so you're correct that the app itself may change. But I think Bill's correct in that the digital space isn't going anywhere. And the exactly. the, um, you know, functions of the digital space over the analog space, phone calls and smoke signals is is we're never going backwards there so it's just a matter of of leveraging it in in effective you know ways and, and like you said um as we sit here a disaster could strike right now right as we're on the phone we could suddenly lose this call because an earthquake happened um and of any other branch of service the coast guard will be called uh to be first on the scene so um this is right thinking on behalf of a future Coast Guard officer. Um, and, uh, you know, we salute you with uh, with getting your thoughts in front of a humongous group um, by being published in, in proceedings. Um, so, again, just wanted to uh, ask, in terms of what happened in, at, in Florence, um, what, what would you say were the main improvements over what, happened in Harvey and then based on what happened in Florence the next time we have a hurricane what what do we have ready on arrival do we think um for for the next season storms yeah absolutely so I guess I'm going to start off just by saying that this has been a huge team effort um I've had a couple of advisors Lieutenant Christopher Linden and then uh, Lieutenant Commander Young Clear as well as uh, a team of a few other cadets that have just I mean I'm on the podcast with you today, but they've been hugely instrumental in making everything possible up to this point. Um, 
but yeah, I'd say the the biggest changes as far as um, Florence this year is we had um, improved mapping products through live updating any data that was going into that Google spreadsheet. So instead of updating it every four to six hours, it was continually being updated. And that was a, a product that was created by my best friend, Reed Wiegland. Um, and it works beautifully. It has the ability to be interfaced with the Coast Guard's common operational picture, um, the ability to be interfaced with any platform that FEMA uses. Um, so that was a huge improvement for us. And then also watching as um, those various NGOs came together in a very organized fashion to really make sure that all needs were being met. So that was um, truly inspiring to watch compared to um, 2017 to 2018. Now looking into the 2019 hurricane season, um, I don't think I can officially say or like I, I know what it's going to look like quite yet. But one thing I, I will say that we're really interested in is evaluating different ways to tell that story. So the story that we've been telling up to this point is what are the areas that are hit most hard? Um, heat maps aren't perfect. There are definitely some limitations as far as what that story is. And I think that if we can somehow um, evaluate what sort of a story that's, um, that's communicating, we might be able to kind of figure out, you know, are there some neighborhoods that have been hit particularly hard within the last six hours as compared to others? Or are there hotspots that 911 isn't picking up that social media is or vice versa? Um, I think it's critical that all first responders have access to as much information as possible, but in a way that's easily digestible. Um, so I think that's where the um, crisis mapping social media future lies for the 2019 hurricane season. So if I'm listening to the podcast uh, and I live in a hurricane-prone area, what would your number one recommendation be for me in terms of digital preparedness for disasters? Yeah, I mean, I would say the biggest thing is evacuate. It's best to avoid that emergency in the first place. You don't ever want to have to be in question of making that call in the first place. Um, but I'll follow whatever instructions FEMA, the Coast Guard is providing to you because that's kind of the official channel that they're providing. Um, so call 911, call whatever numbers the Coast Guard's um, providing and maybe have an extra battery for your phone because you don't want to be left with 7% battery while you're still on hold with 911 um, if something does go wrong with the emergency infrastructure. Um, well, I, let me put a final if, point on the question. So yeah. is there... Uh, again, the digital specific, the, the things that were effective in terms of getting my location on the Google spreadsheet that you guys yeah. are, are, are socializing. Is it about paying attention to the, the hashtag that you put, you put out? Is it about being um, like obviously having my phone charged up is a pretty big basic thing. But um, is it about right. being on one app over another? And would you tell me which one you're monitoring uh, to the greatest degree? Are there instructions that are put out real time? Where would I get those? I, I get, you know, pay attention to FEMA. And if, if you're given the advice to evacuate, then follow it. But even when you think about a hashtag, right? Am I hashtag Hurricane Florence or hashtag Florence? Or do, are you guys hawking both of those, right? Those sorts of details well, could make the difference between my neighbor getting a a hoist and, and, and me. Yeah. Um, I would say whatever 
I mean, the digital humanitarian community generally monitors a whole slew of different hashtags. So I think we were monitoring upwards of 50 different hashtags during Hurricane Harvey. Um, I don't know how many of those were um, being monitored during um, Florence, but just something with rescue, hurricane, whatever, um, whatever seems to make sense to you. Um, the first responder community will be doing everything they can to make sure that uh, that call doesn't go unanswered. All right. Well, um, we want to thank uh, Cadet First Class Evan Torog uh, for being with us today. Um, again, um, as Ward mentioned, we were up at the uh, Coast Guard Academy in uh, September, on September 11th, actually, uh, for this uh, excellent event on disaster response. And prior to that, there was a reception where Evan uh, was awarded uh, his prize for the essay contest and um, given a Coast Guard Achievement Medal for his work in uh, in, Har- in in support of Har- Hurricane Harvey relief, so it's quite an achievement. Evan will graduate next spring from the Coast Guard Academy, and I think you don't know yet, right, Evan, what you're doing? Is that correct? That's correct. So keep us updated. Uh, we'll look forward to to hearing about that. And for our uh, listeners, uh, again, the essay is. Uh, uh, Hurricane Ready, Coast Guard adapts to the social media storm in the October uh, issue of Proceedings Magazine. So thanks again, Evan. And uh, until next week, thank the audience for joining us. And remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. See you next time.